get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome to the show, another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto and across the TSN radio network. If you miss any of the show or listen to past episodes, you subscribe and rate us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, the tsn1050.ca show page. On Twitter, we post the links at TSN Analytics and myself at AndyMC81. Nice show for you today. We're going to start it off in just a moment with Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Follow that up with Editor-in-Chief of the Athletic Toronto, James Myrtle. Then we go to our DraftKings guys and fantasy hockey talk, James Myrtle. Harding, who's a DraftKings and a fantasy football analyst for DK and NHL.com. We polish off the program with Scott Cullen from TSN.ca with some heroes and zeros. But in the leadoff spot, as he usually is, unless he's traveling somewhere exotic, is Travis Yost. Travis, how's it going? Good. I need you to ask our resident fantasy expert what what he should do if he went full Packers back and then Aaron Rodgers broke every bone in his oh. body because that's the situation I'm in right now. Oh boy, yeah, dude, that is uh, that's rough. That's rough. I wouldn't be leaning on Hundley. Can you offload or, or, or is there a trade deadline? Can you pick up off waivers? Where are you at? There's it's it's a super deep league. So right now oh, I'm boy. I'm pretty much like hoping and praying every night that Randall Cobb has more than two catches a game. <laughs> Well, if you're looking for tight end help this week, I like Mercedes Lewis for the Jags and Jermaine Gresham. Some dark horses there for you. So, anyway, buddy, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Let's get into the uh, for the NHL. We're almost at the American Thanksgiving. Uh, mark in in the season. That's a, kind of a before Christmas. That's the first real measuring point where teams begin to show their identity. So one team that is wow, like Travis, we're seeing the Edmonton Oilers. What the heck? is going on in Edmonton. They were looked like they were going to be uh, runaway favorites to, if not win the Pacific, be right up there. What's going on? So this this is not a, I always qualify, this is not a sexy take. I'm kind of on the fence with the Oilers, but let, <laughs> let me briefly explain why. Okay. The, the biggest thing working against the Oilers right now is they just cannot buy a goal at 5-on-5, five five and they are not an elite power play team either. Uh, again, it, it's very similar to if you watch an Oilers game, it looks like they have the puck most of the night, uh, and, and they are generating a ton of shots from the most dangerous scoring areas on the ice. If you just looked at how teams are generating shots from the home plate area, I believe Edmonton, Edmonton's top three in the league, all situations and five-on-five. Five. So more, more than anything, they're just not really getting the bounces right now, and, and quite frankly, I would expect their shooting percentage to rebound in a big way. They are shooting actually – an order of magnitude worse than they did during the Dallas Eakins era, and that was a catastrophe in its own right. So yeah. this is even worse than that. So, you know, a lot of it is just they haven't gotten the bounces right now. But I will say one thing. There is one thing that kind of concerns me about this Oilers team. They are slow. And, hmm. and that, is, that is not what you expected from a team who indisputably has the fastest skater in the NHL in Connor McDavid and a few other skaters in their first line and top six who also have wheels. The the majority of their forwards, though, are really, really slow, and they do not play fast. One of the ways you can counterbalance not being an individually fast skater is if you move the puck really quick. Uh, I think Carolina, for example, like Carolina is not a fantastic hockey team this year either, but they play so fast. You see the, the puck moves tape to tape to tape right out of the zone and back into the offensive third. Edmonton is so methodical and so 
you know, everything is segmented. And, and it, it seems like there's always some massive effort it takes to actually get into those dangerous areas. So to me, if I'm, if I'm Peter Schiarelli and I'm looking at my team, the, the biggest concern I have right now is, okay, when, let's, when we get to the playoffs, and I think Edmonton's going to make the playoffs. When we get to the playoffs, how am I supposed to skate with <laughs> some of these teams around the Western Conference that really can, can beat us back just on pure speed? And, and that, that, to me, is something that I think Edmonton might kick up during the trade deadline because right now they have too many guys who look like they are skating in concrete right now. Yeah, and that's going to be the question. Depending where they're at at the trade deadline, if they're within striking distance, do they go after some more speed? Okay, let's let's flip it. So we have Edmonton near the bottom. Then you have Vancouver, who at nine eight and two record wise isn't blowing people away, but they're doing much better than people expected. Like the, the Canucks were looked upon to be bottom dwellers, and hey, you have head coach Travis Green coming in, and uh, uh, the Sedin twins. Uh, they've been dropping in their five on five ice time. How is this working that they're being able to at least be competitive? You know, it's early going still on Vancouver, but I have been so impressed by Travis Green. Yeah. It, one of the big things that I think you could say is a testament to a first-year coach. If he's not afraid to roll the dice and take some shots, that to me, especially with a roster, and granted, Travis Green has a little bit of luxury here where he's not in a situation. But, like, the tinkering he's done with that lineup that predecessors were kind of afraid to do because there were higher expectations, I think has helped the team. One of the big things is, look, the Sedin five years ago were maybe two of the five best playmakers in the, in the world at the NHL, in the NHL or anywhere for that matter. They're not the same players right no, now. They're no. not nearly as best. They're not nearly as aggressive in the offensive third. And they are be, basically being deployed as second or third line guys. And really, the ice time has been reallocated to some of their younger and, quite frankly, more talented players right now. The only, the only thing, I, and I wrote about it this week, so they have seen a substantial change-up in their ice time at 5-on-5. Five five. They're still trying to figure out the power play units, and that's really the one thing that's been holding them back. They have one of the worst power plays in the league, um, whether it's by goals or shot metrics. And, I, again, I think a lot of it is because the Sedins really anchored that, that first power play unit. It, although it's crazy to say, because, again, five years ago, if you put the Sedins on a first power play unit with anyone, uh, they were going to be one of the best units in the league. It's just not the same right now. And then they are generating so few opportunities. And it's funny because when their second power play unit comes on the ice, they are much better. They are generating more shots, more score chances, more goals. So, you know, it's, it's still Travis Green is still very early phases here. He's less than 20 games as a head coach at the NHL level, and he's still trying to figure things out and work through things. But, man, he's taken some shots. And for the most part, they, they've made Vancouver at least semi-competitive. Again, I, I don't think we have a great team here yet. There's just not a ton of talent. There's not enough talent really to compete over 82, but enough to be scrappy. And I think that's a, I think that's a good mark on Travis Green. Yeah, much higher than original expectations. In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca, get him on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Now, Travis, you also wrote this week that talent plus blue line depth equals success. And the Senators made an interesting decision when they moved defenseman Chris Weidman to forward. Now Weidman is out with a a torn hamstring. How is Ottawa's success going to be affected with their lack of defensive depth? Well, I... I think we're going to see a lot of what we saw from one year ago, which is Ottawa is going to keep playing Eric Carlson mm-hmm. on the first pairing, and they're going to play him to the point where they don't want to overburden. But at the same time, you know, what we saw last year was he would play 20 or so minutes a game, and then when the playoffs came, he was out there every other shift. What hurts Ottawa, though, is and this is a drum. We've, I think we've been beating for the entire time we've been doing the show. 
they have never found a second pairing. And right now, the second pairing is Cody Cece and Deion Phaneuf, and they are just unbelievably struggling right now, regardless of how they're being deployed. They just they, The Ottawa's offense goes into a complete crater when they're out there, and the defense isn't, isn't that much better either. They, they're, to, to give Chase credit, they're, they're mixing and matching a little bit. Like You'll see Cody Cece moving around the lineup a little bit, and I, I think Boucher recognizes that he's still trying to find those optimal combinations. But what's going to hurt Ottawa is they are a more top-heavy team. Uh, when their first line and first pairing is out there, they are fantastic. It's when their depth gets out there that they really start to struggle. And it's, it's most prominently driven, in my opinion, by really a, a weak second and third pairing. Um, they do have a couple guys. You know, Tom Shabbat is one example who are kind of out there and they expect to be up uh, you know, as, as full-time NHLers at some point. I, I thought Chris Weidman had, had played solid defensively. I know the team was tinkering him with, uh, at the forward position. Uh, for for a couple games there, but you know, I, I just think they the pieces they have back there are they might be good enough to make the playoffs, but they're never going to be good enough to put them over the hump, and and that's why like like half the teams in the league they are still regardless of whether they know it or not they are still searching for another top four defender, so especially a guy who can get behind that Eric Carlson pairing and drive a second unit. Uh, last one for you here. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, you cut out there for a second. Uh, last one, real quick. I just want to touch on the Tampa Bay Lightning because they're, they're dominating, right? 15 2 and 2. They're scoring four goals per game, almost a half goal better than the rest of the league. The big question, our favorite word, sustainability. Is it sustainable with all that talent? Yes. They have the best one in the NHL this year. Domestic Cops, Sam Coach, Kucherov, there's no answer for them. And I don't, I don't really care what happens to the rest of the team. The rest of the team will regress. There's no, there's no answer for stopping that line. No. You've got two of the seven best NHLers on the same line, and you've got Vladimir and Domestic Cop who complement their talent so well. I, I don't see any way when you put them out there with Victor Hedman, by the way. That's the best five-man group in the NHL right now. Yeah, tough to argue that. Travis, thank you so much, man. Let's do it again next week. Uh, all right, take care, Andy. All right, Travis Yost. From TSN.ca. Get him on Twitter at Travis Yost. And I should say, actually, we won't have a show next week because of Grey Cup specials on the station. So we'll be the following week. We'll be back with TSN Hockey Analytics. We will take the break. On the other side, editor-in-chief from The Athletic Toronto, James Myrtle, joins me. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 and across the TSN Radio Network. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Nylander curling out. Nylander still with it. Shoots. Scores! With 2.2 seconds left, Willie Nylander wins the game. Welcome back. TSN Hockey Analytics, I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto, across the TSN Radio Network, on Twitter, at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81, you can get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TSN1050.ca show page, and of course the links at TSN Analytics on Twitter. Let's bring in our good friend from The Athletic Toronto, their editor-in-chief, Mr. James Myrtle. James, how's it going? I'm good, Andy. How are you? I'm well, sir. So we heard a, a nice goal there from Willie Nylander to break that scoreless tie in overtime for the Leafs. But the Leafs gave an extension to Josh Levo. One year, 925000 bucks. It's almost a $300,000 raise for, for James, a player that spends most nights in the press box. So why'd they do it? This gives 
the Leafs um, more value for Josh Levo. I mean, if they decide that they, they're going to end up moving him, which is certainly a possibility given how little he's playing, this gives him a lot more value because what was happening is that Josh Levo could have potentially become an unrestricted free agent. He would have been a rental player. Um, and any kind of offer that the Leafs were going to get for Josh Levo really wasn't going to be very much. By getting him signed, they keep him under team control for a while. And whether that means that potentially maybe the Leafs have to run into some injury problems and Levo plays for them, or potentially they end up moving on from Josh Levo. But either way, this gives, as you said, Levo a raise, and it gives the Leafs more value for the player in that they've got him under control. They know that if they want to end up moving him, they'll get more back for him. It's it's kind of a win-win on both sides in that Josh Levo knows he's going to get an NHL paycheck next year, and the Leafs know that they're going to either be able to play Josh Levo and have him on the team next year, or they're going to be able to move him. So sticking with the Leafs here, we have Austin Matthews. As of right now, his uh, status to play in Montreal Saturday is unclear. Uh, Toronto, though, they, hey, they, they've won all four games without him, and it, it gives a little bit of a luxury. Not that you would rush him back anyway at this time of year, James, but it's nice to know that, all right, they are making do and that depth. They're able to be okay, at least in the short term, without Austin Matthews. What's allowed the Leafs to pilot the points while missing their most talented player? Number one has been the goaltending has been a lot better than it's been all season. Frederick Anderson has played three of his best games in those four games that that uh, Austin Matthews has missed. Um, number two, I mean, they're just they're playing. When we saw it against New Jersey on Thursday, I mean, they're playing much more boring hockey. It's it's low event hockey. It's more defensive. It's trying to keep teams to the outside. Um, they're surrendering a lot of shots, but a lot of shots from from the outside. Um, I wouldn't say the Leafs have played particularly well, but they also haven't played particularly poorly. They've kind of just played a lot of these games to a draw. They've been low scoring. They've been very, very tight. Um, I don't know that the Leafs would want to try and win like this long term. So the good news is that Austin Matthews' injury isn't long term, and you know he could play as as soon as a few hours from now in uh, in Montreal. But you're right. I mean, can you imagine the scenario if they had lost those four games oh and they were they were struggling in the standings and Austin? They, you know, there would be concerns over rushing Austin Matthews back. You know, they they really bought themselves some time and they made a push up the standings instead of down them while missing their best player, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. Now, the question though, James, is all right. He had a four day break. Still, did not play Thursday against the Devils. Is this? Should we be looking into it that this is maybe a more serious injury, or is it still, again, caution? Yeah, he's still not on injured reserve. I was checking that last night. I was like, I wonder if they stick him on injured reserve and call somebody up. But no, he's not. So, I mean, to me, based on what happened at the morning skate, I know Jonas Siegel was reporting from Montreal that uh, it looked like Sashnikov and Levo were going to be the scratches, which means that Austin Matthews would be into the lineup. So maybe this is the end of, of the long wait. Maybe four games is going to be it. But... The concern for me would be more that Austin Matthews was talking about even before he missed the game that it was kind of a lingering injury. It had been something that had been bothering him for a while, and uh, the sports science team eventually pulled the plug on him continuing to play. I mean, the good news is that there are only 20 games in the season. He's got a long way to go here and a long way to recover. The Leafs are hoping that this is going to be a big year for them, that there's going to be a playoff push. And I think part of why maybe they were a little bit overly cautious right now is it is early in the year. The record's pretty good, and they want to have Austin Matthews at his peak performance in March, April, May, as opposed to right now. 
In conversation with James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto on Twitter, at Myrtle. Now, one player who has done well without Austin Matthews is Patrick Marlowe, right? The veteran shifted to center. He's excelled. Is Marlowe playing down the middle something we could see more of down the road? In a pinch, you know, Mike Babcock has said that he doesn't really want that to be where Patrick Marlowe plays. He said they didn't sign him to play there, and but he's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's given the Leafs a second defensive line in addition to the Kadri line, which has allowed them to match up against teams, which has allowed them to play that defensive style. And Babcock's created that line with Brown and Hyman and Marlowe. That's you know, it, and they've generated offense too. I mean. Patrick Marlowe's got the, the three goals at even strength in, in the last four games that Matthews missed. So, you know, you, you can't argue with Mike Babcock's methods, but even he has said that that's just if there's an injury to a center. You know, they don't really have a ton of options unless they move William Nealander there. And I've been impressed with how Patrick Marlowe's been able to do that. It shows versatility, and it shows that at 38 years old, he's still got a lot of game left. Yeah, and what a nice problem to have for the Leafs, right? To be able to to have have that option, as you said, in a pinch. So, um, we'll have to track that. Also, James, you noted on The Athletic this week that heat maps have become an increasingly common thing in hockey analytics. And if we look at the Maple Leafs 5-on-5 unblocked shots heat map, we notice they generate a lot of their offense from right in front of the net. So, how much of that contributes to the Leafs being second in the NHL in goals with 62 trailing only the, well, red-hot Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I think it's part of what makes the Leafs such a dangerous offensive team, and it's specifically that Hyman-Matthews-Nealander line that's really, really good at getting to that and playing around the net. And in that story earlier this week, I talked to uh, a bunch of the Maple Leafs about why they're able to generate so many shots from in close. Basically, the, the average shot distance for the Leafs is, is the lowest in the league, so they shoot from closest to the net. Um, the players talked about how that's really become not only part of their system, but also the personnel they have. Players like Austin Matthews and Zach Hyman are really good at generating uh, shots that create rebounds and, and then getting to those rebounds. And I mean, you just have to look at the Leafs' power play and how they score a lot of goals. A lot of the time, it's not coming from a point shot. It's coming from a pass from uh, out towards the boards where, you know, Mitch Marner or Tyler Bozak will be, goes to the front of that, and then you have a Nazem Kadri or James Van Riemsdyk pouncing on the puck in front. And it's been really, really effective on the power play both last year and this year. And that really brings that shot distance number down. And, James, one of the league-wide stories that the uh, NHL, or came out around the NHL, is possibly a team in Houston. Now, whether that's an expansion team or a team going to Houston, whatever, uh, but how far down the road do you think a 30-second team is if it goes the expansion route? Since Vegas is only a couple months in, let's be honest, hey, Vegas has surprised everybody. Yeah, and they've surprised everybody in terms of the gate, too. I mean, the attendance has been very good. It sounds like revenues have been very good, so... You know, it looks like so far, I mean, it's pretty early on, but Vegas has been a win for the NHL. I don't think it's going to be that long before there's a 30-second NHL team. The league would like it to be Seattle, but they're still waiting on that arena deal to get done. Mm. So, you know, I can certainly see a situation where the expansion team is Seattle in four or five years when the arena is ready. Uh, Houston remains as a relocation option, obviously, because it's ready to go with an owner and uh, and, a, and a building there. Um, and I could, I, the team that stands up to me would, would still be the Coyotes. It would still potentially be in trouble and would potentially be a relocation team. So I think the NHL just wants to have options in case the situation in Arizona finally comes to a head and they're not able to keep the team there.
James, that just seems like it's Gary Bettman's like just mission in life to not let it leave Arizona, though. Like it doesn't matter if nobody shows up, he'll still keep hockey there. Yeah, well, I mean, I asked her. I asked around when there was the Houston talk, and a lot of people I talked to behind the scenes were saying, "Yeah, it's probably the Coyotes." So it it's sense. still it's still a concern for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, James, thank you so much for stopping by. And, uh, of course, tell people how they can get on and find the information on The Athletic Toronto if they have not done so already. Yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, check out theathletic.com. Newest sports section in Toronto, and, and we're across Canada right now. We've got Pierre Lebrun, Eric Duhatchik, myself, Greg Custance, a lot of great hockey writers. So if that's your thing, check it out. Yeah, it's uh, an all-star team of talent there. Uh, James, thank you so much, man. Thanks, Andy. All right, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto, James Myrtle on Twitter, at Myrtle. We're going to take the break. After that break, James Harding. He is hockey analyst for NHL.com, DraftKings.com, Fantasy Hockey Talk. We're going to get you ready, whether you're playing daily, your league. Fantasy Hockey Talk with James Harding coming up next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Play. Back door, McDavid banks it off, legacy, and it winds up in the net. And I think Vegas might have put it in its own net. He'll lumber across the blue line, feed McDavid to the net, wrist shot, score! And that should seal the deal. Welcome back. Time for some fantasy hockey talk here on TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto across the TSN radio network. Get us on iTunes. SoundCloud, on Twitter, at TSN Analytics, and myself, at AndyMC81. On the line, friend of show, James Harding. He's a hockey analyst for NHL.com and DraftKings. Uh, James, how's it going, man? Uh, Andy, if I was any better, I'd be you, buddy. Oh, well, I hope you're better than that. But anyway, yes, yes, yes. Good good, good to have you back on, man. So, uh, listen, we're, we're almost at the American Thanksgiving, and that's kind of, that's mentioned earlier in the show, it's kind of the first measuring stick of the season. So it, it doesn't hurt to look at players that are maybe doing a little bit better than you thought or worse, whose stock is rising or falling. Stock up. Stock down. There, you like that, James? A sting just for you, man. You like that? I love that. that that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Let's see. So give me a player stock up so far through the first chunk of this season. Yeah, uh, one player who I love his stock right now, and uh, he's been rising steadily over the last uh, few weeks, is uh, Toivo Teravainen from the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, he's got points in six, uh, sorry, he's got points in six of his past ten games, Four multi-point games. He's skating on the Hurricanes' top line down there with Sebastian Ajo and uh, Jordan Stahl. He has uh, eight points and seven shots on goal in his past four games. I like that team. I like what Bill Peters is doing down there with them. And he's a very, very exciting player. I I love his stock right now, and especially for this weekend. He has two games back-to-back against the Islanders and the Sabres. He plays the Sabres tonight and the Islanders tomorrow night. He's coming off a two-assist game against the Islanders on Thursday night. Uh, so I like, I like Tara Vinan a lot. Tara Vinan. So his stock is up. Now, who's, who's dropping? Whose stock is down in the fantasy world? You know, one guy whose stock is way down right now, and I think it's pretty surprising so far this year, is Brent Burns yeah. from the San Jose Sharks. Uh, six-game pointless drought right now. 
uh, only seven assists, zero goals this season. Uh, he has good shot numbers, but when you look at the points that he's put up over the past two seasons, 56 goals over the last two years, which leads NHL defensemen at 151 points in that span, which is second only to Eric Carlson. And, and you just look at what he's doing this year. And San Jose has been down this year, but they have not been that down. It's very, very surprising to see what Brent Burns has done this season. Uh, he has 200 shots more than any other defenseman in that span over the last two years. So to see him struggling like this this, this far into the season, it's a real concern for fantasy players. Yeah, and especially with the cachet, because sometimes, James, as you know, we get we get caught up in a name recognition, right? When you have Brent Burns, a, a salary on DraftKings right now of seven thousand bucks, that's a little, it's a little tough to swallow to pop that into a, a struggling defenseman. It is really, really hard to have any faith going forward right now from Brent Burns putting him into a, a DFS lineup until you see him start to break out of this slump and maybe put you know, two or three games together with a point or, you know, points in three or four out of six games. But until then, I'm avoiding him. So, James, I want to get to to this so we have enough time, and then uh, we'll circle back maybe to some uh, fantasy uh, risers on Canadian teams. But the pick style game, and I talk about it on my, my NFL show, TSN Four Downs, uh, on the NFL side, but NHL also has pick games on DraftKings. So it's it's different where it's not a salary base where you have to kind of juggle the numbers. Just tell people quickly about the, the pick'em style for, for DraftKings. Yeah, so it's the same standard scoring system as NHL on DraftKings uh, in the standard contests, and you build your lineup, though, just based on uh, tiers. So they have three, four, five players in each tier. There's no salary cap, so you just pick the player in that tier who you think is going to have the best night. Nice. Okay, so last time you were, you were on one of the first shows of the season, you helped me up through the first three tiers, and I ended up winning a sweet 75 cents. I'm in the money, right? Yeah, That's in perfect. the money. We're in the money. So we got I, a con- I, I believe we're calling that uh, the, the Travis uh, potato chip fund? Yeah. <laughs> the tra- yeah, well, well, how about Travis Yost's snack fund? Yes. Yes, that, okay, that is snack fund. A, a worthy cause, sir. Yes, very good. Uh, by the way, you can follow James on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. So, Let's go through this now. There's an NHL Pick'em Contest. I have it up in front of the screen here, so and we'll kind of give people an idea of how it works. So, Tier 1, I got Ovechkin, Tarasenko, or Pasternak. Where am I going? Uh, well, my top line of the night tonight is the St. Louis Blues hmm. first line. Um, I, I love the matchup tonight against Vancouver. The three of them, Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko, uh, three of the leading scorers, uh, as far as a, a trio in the NHL. So I'm going Tarasenko tonight, and I'm stacking him with both Chen and Schwartz later on in the pick I was going to say, so you're going, you're going heavy because that's, it's, it's bold. It can really pay off, or it can be risky when you're playing fantasy because if for whatever reason they get shut down, you got a lot of eggs in the basket, but you're confident St. Louis into Vancouver. I'm confident. I mean, Shen and Schwartz, both top five scorers in the NHL this season, both have 25 points. Tarasenko just on the fringe of the top 10, uh, tied for 10th with 22 points. I really like what that line is doing right now. Okay. So at tier, so that was tier two with Shen. Tier three, you can still go St. Louis, but on the defensive side, Peter uh, Angelo, uh, Couture after that, San Jose hosting Boston. Uh, and then we got Kuznetsov for Washington. 
Uh, I believe Jason Zucker is oh, in there too. Zucker is in there as well. I'm looking at that. Yes, from uh, the Minnesota and, uh, Wild, and and he would be my pick. Oh. Uh, he has just been a fantasy beast over the last few weeks. He's scoring goals in bunches for them right now, and and Minnesota is struggling offensively right now. He's getting uh, a lot of opportunity to produce. I, I like Jason Zucker tonight, even though it's a tricky matchup. Yeah, he's uh, averaging 4.1 fantasy points per game there. Uh, in Tier 4, now it starts to get a little, little more cloudy. you got Schwartz, Stahl, Carlson, Arvidsson, or Pavelski. Like I said, I have faith in the Blues, and I'm, I'm rolling Jaden Schwartz. You're there. rolling out. Wow. So we got three Blues and Zucker for the Wild. Okay. All right. Hey, I love it. Okay. Uh, tier 5, we have McKinnon. Yossi, Oshi, Tourist, or Steen. Uh, so that's, uh, we got Colorado, Nashville, Washington, another uh, Pred, and Steen, of course, for the Blues. Yeah, I'm going to avoid the Blues in this one. Uh, we're not going to go too heavy <laughs> with them anymore. But uh, I like TJ Oshi in this matchup. Uh, he's been a lot better as of late. Obviously, he's still playing with Nick Backstrom, who's, who's not scoring the way that Nick Backstrom normally scores. But I, I like Oshie. He's been productive as of late. And I think that it's uh, even though it's a tough matchup with Minnesota, I, I like him a lot. James, how much stock do you put into, of course, when you're, you're picking, it gives the opponent's ranking against. How much, how much stock do you put in that? Because you look at, let's say, in Tier 6 here, we have Niederreiter against the 23rd ranked Minnesota Wild compared to, let's say, Spurgeon 7th um, versus Washington. How, how much do you equate the opposition rank with the player? I mean, it definitely has to factor in. You have to look at uh, you know, who is in goal that night. Mm-hmm, you have to look mm-hmm. at some of their last... Uh, you know, it takes a lot of research. You have to look at some of their prior outings. Obviously, we know what, what Devin Dubnik in, in Minnesota has done over his last week and a half, three shutouts. Uh, but he was a little shaky in his last outing. I don't think that he's going to be able to shut out uh, a team like Washington, but they're so uh, inconsistent right now that picking them on a consistent basis has been hard. But I, I do like a, a player like T.J. Oshie, even though it is a tough matchup. Gotcha. And in that Tier 6, we'll zip through here and then get into some other areas. Uh, tier 6, you have it up in front of you. Who do you like? Uh, Gabriel Landeskog, uh, playing with uh, Nathan McKinnon on the on the top line there. Uh, I, I, I like him. I think he's going to have a solid night tonight. Okay, and then at Tier 7, uh, I, I kind of, Thomas Hurdle kind of stands out to me against Boston at home. What do you think? Are you going somewhere else? Uh, I like Hurdle a lot. He was not my pick here, but he was definitely one of my top two. I'm going with Rijo. I'm going with Johansson against Colorado, but I, I definitely could see the appeal of going with somebody like Hurdle against uh, Boston at home because he has been uh, very consistent at home this season. And last one, Tier 8 in the NHL Fantasy Pick'em on DraftKings.com. We got a, a slew of players here. Who you, who you like in Tier 8? Uh, one of my favorite rookies so far this season, uh, the guy who has really been the standout player for the Vancouver Canucks for the first month, and that's Brock Besser. Uh, just a uber-talented young kid. Third in the NHL among rookies in scoring this season with 16 points. Uh, I'm, I'm going with him, even though again it's a it's a little bit of a tricky matchup. Uh, but but I like him tonight to uh, to find the score sheet in some way. All right, so 
That's a sample lineup there. You can go to DraftKings.com under the NHL and the lobby section in the Pick'em style. Give it a try if you haven't tried it out, folks. A lot of fun, real quick game uh, compared to, let's say, the... Uh, still, I still love the salary cap game, but this is it's just a different way to, to think of it, choosing from a group rather than just based on, on cash value and who you can slot in, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, it's definitely for that player who if they're not sure about how they want to build a lineup or if they're un- not confident in building a lineup with the, the salary because they don't know enough about all of the value players, something like Pick'em is a great way for them to just dip their feet in and get the experience on DraftKings to kind of learn how to build a lineup. Well, I entered that into my DraftKings lineup the whole way, so uh, we'll see how we'll see how I do. And, <laughs> James, we, we don't have a show next week. We're um, being interrupted for the Grey Cup coverage, but the following week we'll get you back and we'll go over some of the Canadian teams and, and look into some other fantasy prospects. Sounds great, Eddie. Great stuff, man. Thank you. That's James Harding, fantasy hockey analyst for NHL.com and DraftKings. Great follow on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. We'll take the break. Finish up the show with Scott Collins from TSN.ca. Heroes and zeros and the top storylines from around the NHL. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 and across the TSN radio network. Now it's Kucherov right circle. Center point Hedman. Left circle Stamkos. Shoots. Score! Boy, did he blast out. Up and over Bishop's glove. A one-timer for Stamkos. Stamkos. Goes cross ace head in left circle. Centers it! Score! Kucherov! Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto, across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Never miss an episode, tsn1050.ca on the show page. And, of course, we also post the links, again, on Twitter at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81. Let's bring on, in his cleanup spot to finish up the show, Scott Cullen from tsn.ca. Scotty, how's it going? Great. How you doing, Andy? I am doing well, sir. So, hey, you know what? Let's start off the show as we usually do with heroes and zeros. And uh, we talked with um, uh, uh, Jason or James Harding in the last segment from DraftKings, and he went on, and this is your first hero, Jason Zucker. He, he's really up on Zucker, and so are you. Sure. Uh, you know, his past five games, he has eight goals, uh, also a 60% Corsi. Uh, in the first three games of that five-game stretch, he scored all six of the wild goals. And, um, you know, that, that's really taken quite the, the leadership position on a team that uh, needs a bit of an offensive jolt. Uh, he's shooting 22% this year, which isn't something I would expect him to, to maintain, but he's also generating more shots, up to 2.7 per game, which is a career high. Uh, and so, look, last year he scored a career high 22 goals. Uh, he's already halfway there this year, and even if uh, the shooting percent uh, comes down, uh, I expect him to, to go beyond uh, 22 goals this year. And hero number two, Matthias Ekholm. Yeah, you know what? He gets overshadowed by P.K. Subban and Roman Yossi, but he, yeah. he's a top pair defender in his own right. Um, and he's getting a little bit more offensive opportunity um, with Nashville this year. Uh, he has five points in the past four games, 56% Corsi in that time. But he also he has four power play points this season. He had three all of last year. So, you know, getting a little bit more opportunity with the man advantage uh, and, you know, adding some points to uh, his already kind of shut down role in, in their top pairing. So, um, Matthias Ekholm, uh, a little underrated uh, in, in many cases, but uh, is starting to put up some numbers uh, to get noticed. 
So those are the heroes. Now the zeros. And it, it, Scotty, what I love about you, you're not afraid to, to swing. Swing <laughs> at these stars. Tyler Sagan, one goal in November. A deserving zero, in my opinion. Well, here, and here's the thing is he, he had been off to a really good start this year. Uh, and so this is more a case of, yeah, he's, he's tailed off from his really yeah. hot start. Has two assists in the past five games, only one of them at even strength. Um, and no goals for and six goals against. Uh, during five-on-five play in that time. And so, um, you know, this this isn't the kind of thing where, oh, my gosh, look at Tyler Sagan's really, you know, on the downswing. I think this is, you know, probably a short-term slump that uh, I just happened to catch catch these numbers uh, to take notice, uh, and it probably won't be long before Sagan's numbers start to pick back up. No, no. And uh, the final zero, Brooks or pick for the Washington Capitals. Why poor Brooks? Yeah, poor Brooks. You know what? Um, his His – Play had been declining kind of for several years, and his ice time had started to go down, and that actually worked out. Like, playing him on the third pair, um, you know, you could get away with that. Well, Washington's defense is so thin that they've been forced to play or pick a bunch, and uh, and they're kind of feeling the results because he's playing 22-18 uh, per game this season. That's his most since 2011-2012. Last season, he played 17-47 per game. So, like, we're, we're looking at a major jump. Uh, in ice time for, for Brooks Orpik. Uh, and now in the past seven games, he is 39% Corsi on the ice for two goals for nine goals against. You know, these, these aren't the kinds of things you want to see from somebody who's playing 22 minutes a game. They need to get uh, Brooks Orpik uh, back down to the third pair, I think, if, if they're going to have success. Now, the, the challenge for the Capitals is I don't know how they fill their top four hmm. uh, in order to do that. So that was Heroes and Zeros. You can follow Scott Cullen on Twitter at TSN Scott Cullen. Check out all this fine work on TSN.ca Monday to Friday on TSN.ca Statistically Speaking. Now, Scott, let's go to another article. You write the top 10 storylines. We'll skim through a couple here. The GM meetings coming up in Montreal. I loved your tweet, sir, where it was, if there's one thing that the commission can't stand, it's interrupting an NHL season. Well, yeah, you know, it, and I know this. This was a quote from from uh, Gary Bettman before uh, the GM meetings. But you know, people are always asking about what's happened with the Olympics. Why are Why aren't they going? And and the, the number one reason that he cited was the inter- interrupting the season. Was, uh, that's that's a no go for for Gary. Uh-huh. And so apparently, okay, um, <laughs> this is apparently a, this is a recent trend. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe since the last lockout that he decided that that is no longer a thing. Um, and I guess my my hope is is that that means we're not going to be facing another lockout yeah. uh, a few years from now. And now, look at one of the things that he mentions at the GM's meetings is like the, the league is looking at between four point five and five billion dollars in revenue. Well, that that doesn't sound like a league that should be in you know in financial trouble and have to lock out its players to get a a reasonable solution. You know, um, but th- this is the kind of thing they 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 tout big numbers until it comes to about the year before um, the new CBA, and then all of a sudden it's oh my goodness we we can barely, barely <laughs> scrape two nickels together to to keep these teams uh, afloat, and so uh, let let's hope that's not how how it goes. I, I'm just I I am cynical after the past few lockouts. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how uh, start crying poor when a lock or a a contract negotiation approaches. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Last one for you here. Got a couple of uh, suspensions. Uh, one you think might be uh, well, the Wachowski one. You're definitely on board with. Well, and it's it's an easy one to be on board with because it's just an automatic. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you when you come back to 
engage, engage in more fisticuffs. And like for for the Detroit Red Wings, it's not a big deal, honestly, to lose Luke Wachowski. I mean, look, good character guy, but he's basically a seventh defenseman who they sometimes play up on the wing uh, to fit him in the lineup. But you know, that, that's easy enough for the Red Wings to get around that for the next ten games. And, um, you know, Witkowski doesn't play a huge role. Now, the other one that we we haven't heard uh, the term yet, but Radko Gudis is probably facing a pretty long one hmm. um, for for cracking uh, Matthew Perot over the head with his stick. And given that Gudis, you know, for a long time his you know sort of notoriety was that he was this guy who would hit and kind of be in the gray area where you know maybe he'd get a, a a major penalty, but it was never quite suspendable. And, and he kind of walked that line for a while. Um, but he's been suspended a few times, and, and given that track record uh, to go along with you know this most recent act, which was, looked pretty uh, egregious, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up getting 10 games. And wow. like, and maybe not. I mean, it's it's possible he doesn't get that many, but um, and he's a big loss for Philadelphia. You know, as much as he he has these kind of questionable hits and so on, um, he's he's a pretty useful player that that can fill in their top four. And, and Philadelphia, um, you know, they're they're a little young on the blue line, so they could they could use Gudis, but uh, I think they're going to have to get used to uh, going without him for for a little while anyway. Scotty, always a pleasure, sir. We are off next week because of Grey Cup coverage, but the following week we'll chat with you again. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. All right. Have a good one. All right. Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. Check out all his fine work there. And on Twitter, he posts everything at TSN Scott Cullen. Okay. Thank you very much to our guests today and for all of you for listening. Uh, for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 and across the TSN radio network.